Hello, this is Dr. Pinxian Qian, the editor in chief of Heart Rhythm. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which covers the February 2019 issue of Heart Rhythm. The featured article this month is titled "Low Complication Rates Using High Power, 45 to 50 Watts, for Short Duration for Atrial Fibrillation Ablations," by Winko et al. from Silicon Valley Cardiology, East Palo Alto, California. An accompanying video author interview, conducted by our online editor Dr. Daniel Mooring, can be found at the www.heartrhythmjournal.com website. The authors examined the complication rates of atrial fibrillation ablations at our RF powers from 45 to 50 watts for 2 to 15 seconds per lesion. There were 14,000 ablations in 10,000 patients. They found very low complication rates with that approach. While this study is limited by the retrospective、uh, study design, these findings suggest that high-power, short-duration ablations have the potential to shorten procedure and total RF times, and create more localized. And durable lesions. The next two articles report effects of uh, botulinum uh, toxin type A or BTA injection into the epicardial fat pad to control atrial fibrillation during cardiac surgery. The first one is written by Romanov et al. from、uh, Novosibirsk, Russian Federation. Titled "Long-Term Suppression of Atrial Fibrillation by Botulinum Toxin Injection into Epicardial Fat Pads in Patients Undergoing Cardiac Surgery," three-year follow-up of a randomized study, the authors found that injection of BTA into epicardial fat pads in patients undergoing coronary artery bypass grafting resulted in a substantial sustained reduction. In atrial tachyarrhythmia incidence and burden during three-year follow-up, accompanied by a reduction in hospitalizations. A second article by Waldron et al. from Duke University is entitled "Temporary Autonomic Modulation with Botulinum Toxin Type A to Reduce Atrial Fibrillation After Cardiac Surgery." The authors conclude that epicardial injection of BTA was without discernible adverse effects, but failed to make a significant difference in risk of postoperative atrial fibrillation. The Romanov study included patients with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, while the Waldron study did not target patients with prior AF for recruitment. Multiple other differences between these two studies could also affect the results. More studies are needed to determine if BTA injection into the epicardial GP is effective in preventing postoperative AF and AF during long-term follow-up. Chaudhry et al. from Brussels, Belgium, wrote the next article titled "Continuous Monitoring." After second-generation cryo-balloon、uh, cryo、ablation 
for paroxysmal atrial fibrillation in patients with cardiac implantable electronic devices. The authors followed 54 patients for three years. Continuous monitoring showed a success rate of 83% after one year and 76% after three years of follow-up. The author also reported that 70% of episodes of palpitations after ablation were not due to recurrence of atrial fibrillation, and that 16% of asymptomatic patients who were in sinus rhythm during follow-up clinic visits had developed episodes of silent atrial fibrillation. While the number of patients studied is small, these data provide important information on AF recurrences following cryo-balloon ablation. Next up is a paper titled Prognostic uh, Efficacy of Platelet Count in Patients with Non-Valvular Atrial Fibrillation by Patrick et al. from Seoul National University, Korea. This is a retrospective study of 10,000 patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation. The authors report that a lower platelet count was associated with a lower risk of stroke and a higher risk of bleeding events. These findings suggest that platelet count may be an independent risk factor for bleeding and stroke in patients with atrial fibrillation. However, more studies are needed to confirm that hypothesis. The next article was written by Yalagada et al. from University of Kansas Medical Center. The title of the article is Temporal Relationships Between Esophageal Injury Type and Progression in Patients Undergoing Atrial Fibrillation Castor Ablation. The authors define three types of esophageal injury. Type 1 lesions are erythema only. Type 2 includes superficial and deep ulcers while type 3 is perforation. Based on their extensive literature review, all type 1 and most type 2 lesions resolved with conservative management. A small percentage of deep ulcers progressed to perforation and or fistula formation, so these patients need to be followed closely. These findings may help clinicians manage patients with esophageal ulcers following atrial fibrillation ablation. Emmerich et al. from Duke University wrote the following article titled, Vector Cardiographic QRS Area is Associated with Long-Term Outcome After Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy. Vector cardiograms were derived from the surface ECG, allowing the authors to perform more detailed analysis of the QRS area. Patients with QRS area of less than or equal, equal to 95 microvolt second were compared with those with QRS area greater than 95 microvolt second. They found that smaller vector cardiographic QRS area is associated with worse outcomes. Interestingly, these findings are also applicable to patients with class 1 indications for CRT implantation, such as left bundle branch block and the QRS duration of greater than or equal to 150 milliseconds. Next up is a paper titled Linking the Heart and the Brain. 
neurodevelopmental disorders in patients with catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia by Lee et al. Academic Medical Center, Amsterdam. The authors studied 421 patients with CPVT. They found that intellectual disability is more prevalent among CPVT1 patients, or 8%, than in the general population, which ranges from 1% to 3% only. This subgroup of CPVT1 patients reveals a malignant cardiac phenotype with marked supraventricular and ventricular arrhythmias. These findings are plausible because of an abundant expression of type 2 ranodine receptor in brain tissue. The next article is titled, A Balanced Translocation Disrupting SCM5A in a Family with Brugada Syndrome and Sudden Cardiac Deaths by Yitz et al. from Centenary Institute, Sydney, Australia. The authors identified a family of Brugada syndrome with negative initial gene panel and exon sequencing for pathogenic mutations. They next analyzed the SCM5A gene and discovered a balanced translocation defined as chromosome abnormality caused by rearrangement of parts between different chromosomes. They conclude that the balanced translocation breaking SCM5A is a novel mechanism underlying disease in a family with Brugada syndrome, sick sinus syndrome, cardiac hypertrophy, and sudden cardiac death. Genome sequencing can identify rare chromosomal aberrations causing inherited diseases that may otherwise be missing using gene panel and exon sequencing-based approaches. Cipriani et al. from University of Padua, Italy, wrote the following article titled Predictive Value of Exercise Testing in Athletes with Ventricular Ectopy Evaluated by Cardiac Magnetic Resonance. The authors performed CMR in 36 athletes referred for frequent defined by more than 500 per day, or repetitive premature ventricular beats. CMR revealed cardiac abnormalities in 20 of the 36 patients. Repolarization abnormalities on baseline ECG and complex exercise-induced ventricular arrhythmias with the right bundle branch block of polymorphic morphology identified a subgroup of athletes with the highest probability of CMR abnormalities. These findings suggest that ventricular arrhythmias in athletes may be associated with an underlying structural cardiac condition, which can potentially put these athletes at increased risk of sudden cardiac death. Next up is an article titled, Moderate Alcohol Consumption is Associated with Atrial Electrical and Structural Changes, colon insights from high-density left atrial electroanatomical mapping by Vosco Boynik et al. from Royal Melbourne Hospital, Australia. Patients who consume 8 to 21 drinks per week were defined as moderate drinkers. They found that regular moderate alcohol consumption, but not mild consumption, 
is an important modifiable risk factor for atrial fibrillation associated with lower atrial voltage and conduction slowing. These findings imply that moderate alcohol consumption creates a substrate for atrial fibrillation. These changes may explain the propensity to atrial fibrillation among regular drinkers. Berthold Medal from Nantes, France, wrote the following article titled Clinical Presentation and a Follow-up of Women Affected by Brugada Syndrome. The authors enrolled 494 women into the study and followed them for a median of 57 months. They found that women represent a lower risk group compared to men. In asymptomatic women, fragmented QRS and QRS greater than 120 milliseconds seem to be the only event predictors. Because sex hormones contribute to the repolarization differences between men and women, these findings suggest that repolarization changes are also important for arrhythmogenicity in Brugada syndrome. The next article is titled A Poor Localizing CACNA1C-E1115K Missense Mutation Identified in a Patient with Idiopathic QT Prolongation bradycardia, and the autism spectrum disorder converts the L-type calcium channel into a hybrid non-selective monovalent cation channel by Yi et al. from Mayo Clinic. This gene encodes the L-type calcium channel. The poor region of that channel contains highly conserved glutamic and residues that collectively form the L-type calcium channel selectivity filter. The authors found that this calcium channel variant destroyed the L-type calcium channel's calcium sensitivity and instead converted the mutant channel into a channel with a marked increase in sodium-mediated inward currents and potassium-mediated outward currents. These findings explain the patient's long QT syndrome and arrhythmia phenotype. Next up is an article titled Arrhythmogenic Cardiac Alternance in Heart Failure is Suppressed by Late Sodium Current Blockade by Ranolazine by Fukaya et al. from Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland, Ohio. The authors performed transmural dual optical mapping of calcium transients and action potentials in canine wedge preparations. They found that Ranolazine attenuated arrhythmogenic cardiac alternance in heart failure, both by suppressing calcium alternance and decreasing the coupling gain of APD alternance to calcium alternance. Blockade of late sodium current may reverse impaired calcium cycling to mitigate cardiac alternance, representing a mechanism underlying the antiarrhythmic effect of late sodium current blockade in heart failure. The next two articles are reviews. The first one is titled The Anatomical Substrates for Outflow Tract Arrhythmias, written by Anderson et al. from Newcastle University, United Kingdom. The second one is titled Circadian Rhythm of Cardiac Electrophysiology, Arrhythmogenesis, and the Underlying Mechanisms, by Black et al. from University of Manchester, United Kingdom. 
The journal also published a hands-on article by Bedlaud of Grossmont Hospital San Diego titled Cosmetic Aspects of Device Implantation and a Creative Concept article by Tereshenko from Oregon Health and Sciences University titled Does Plastic Chemical Exposure Contribute to Sudden Deaths of Patients on Dialysis? I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peng Shen Chen.